0: Hi, and welcome to the LEAP podcast. LEAP stands for Leadership Education for Asian Pacifics. I'm Linda Akutagawa, your co-host.
1: And I'm Yana, your co-host for the LEAP podcast. Welcome to season three. Our theme this season is centered on identity within a leadership context and how we as Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders navigate the complexities of our worlds as leaders through the lens of identity.
0: Our hope for all of you who are listening to us is that these conversations spark new ideas and you're able to apply them in your own life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our next episode of our Leap Podcast. Today, we have a guest, Kana Hyman from Asian American Futures. And before we get started with our conversation with her, let me tell you about how we got connected to her. So this is the first time that I'm meeting Kana and Jan is meeting Kana. I actually, I'll say found her because of a webinar that her organization Asian American Futures had put on about maybe a month or so ago from the recording that we're doing today. And they were sharing the results of their research around millennial and Gen Z personas. And it was so interesting because on this theme that we have around identity and leadership or our podcast this season, I thought this was a really interesting way to look at our identities as Asian Americans, uh, Pacific Islanders. And so she very kindly said yes to coming on. And so we are going to have a really interesting conversation. And this is an opportunity for us to dig a little bit into not only their research, but also to learn a little bit about these personas as well, too.
2: Welcome. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you both as well. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, we're glad that you could join us. If you can, tell us briefly about yourself and also a little bit about Asian American Futures so that the listeners have a a context for who you are and the organization that you work for and initiated this study.
2: Yeah, again, my name is Kana Hammond. I'm the Narrative Strategist at Asian American Futures. I'm fourth generation, Japanese American. I'm also mixed race, so I'm half white. And I came into Narrative Strategy after working in both the private sector in Silicon Valley on mobile apps and um, in the social sector in the Bay Area, organizing young professionals to make an impact in their community through strategic volunteering and social justice philanthropy. I found Narrative Strategy when I was in business school. And I had an internship with an immigrant narrative strategy program called the Butterfly Lab that absolutely changed my life. It changed my career trajectory and opened up this incredibly exciting way of thinking about cultural and social change by thinking about the ways that we're talking about and bringing people into the fold in movements and around issues. And Asian American futures specifically, we are building a powerful API majority that's rooted in solidarity, belonging, and self-determination. And we do that by investing in emerging grassroots organizations. We build narrative power and we get to activate new voices in our community, too. So, we're a hybrid or intermediary organization, which means that we do a mix of grant making to grassroots organizations and we get to run our own programming and campaigns. So, you might have heard of us through the Gold Futures Challenge, which is a grant making competition for emerging API nonprofits that is about to start its third year.
0: I'll tell you that both Jan and I really love seeing research and studies, especially ones that can really tell a story, but also give insight into our Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander communities. And one of the questions that I want to start with is, is this study that you and Asian American Futures uh, conducted. And I believe you called it Shaping the Asian American Narrative, Uncovering Millennial and Gen Z Personas. Tell us a little bit about this study. What prompted the organization to conduct the study? And what are are the outcomes or or impacts that you're hoping will come from this particular study?
2: This project came out of a simple idea to get started on our narrative power building work. On one hand, we knew that we wanted to change the narrative about AAPI communities, but we needed to spend some time um, exploring the narratives that activists and movement leaders were already seeding in the world and figuring out which ones we wanted to amplify. So that's one Mm -hmm. part of it. Within narrative strategy, one of the most important things is to know your audience. Right. And in the AAPI community, we've made so much progress, disaggregate data by ethnicity and start seeing the nuance between different parts of our community. Our community is so diverse. But for Mm -hmm. second generation and later generation people, we didn't feel like ethnicity was enough. It wasn't telling us enough. It wasn't getting to the complexity to help us understand our millennial and Gen Z and later generation audience. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to learn more about them. And then lastly, we also wanted to know, you know, if we want to change the narrative, who could help us get there and who is already on board and who might need a little bit more work to bring into the fold. Mm-hmm. You know, there has been so much energy specifically in the last couple of years around API representation both amongst Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders, and also with movies like Crazy Rich Asians. And in response to anti-Asian violence, there's been so much collective grief and despair and community building. And we are noticing some really heated debates about representation, about policing, safety, land and language sovereignty. We wanted to learn more about what was motivating these debates and how and what we should be advocating for. Who is thinking about what and who we could bring into the fold, what we could learn more about our audiences, so that we could bring people together in service of these larger narrative change goals that we had. And as I mentioned, there is almost no research about Millennial and Gen Z APIs, much less how people were relating to different issues. And so in addition to identifying the narratives that we wanted to help amplify, we wanted to just close a basic gap in information and fill out a richer profile Mm-hmm. on these generations so that we knew how to engage the people who were already at the forefront of building narrative power and who are the largest segment of the API population as well. We have so many
1: questions to ask you. One thing, can we, if we could just backtrack for a second, can you explain narrative strategy for those who are listening so that we have a good frame of reference?
2: Yeah, Narrative strategy, so I like to think about it as the process of advancing narratives and stories and messages in a strategic way that helps build narrative power for our, our ideas. And when I talk about narrative power, that means the ability to tell our own stories and have those stories kind of reset the mindsets and values with which the broader community mm-hmm. understands or interprets an issue. So a great example of a narrative that has narrative power and of narrative strategy at work is how the shift from talking about gay rights to love is love helps propel the marriage equality movement to victory.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a great example. Uh, Linda and I actually talked about this in the past. You know, when you think about the AA and communities. Uh, sometimes the narrative to describe our communities aren't as like uplifting. Like you think about anti Asian hate, right? Why does it have to be anti Asian hate? Whereas there's Black Lives Matter. So I I love this idea that you can shift and create movements based on more positive languages. So thanks for
0: sharing that with us. I also want to just just note. A study that that we did together with Jan for on behalf of Leap is around the characteristics that enable Asian American executives across multiple sectors, not just in the corporate sector, but higher education, nonprofits, federal government, you know, what enabled them to be successful. And and I think this tracks with what you're saying because it's I feel like a lot of the Previous research and other conversations around were around, what are we doing wrong? What are Asian American and Pacific Islander leaders doing wrong? And I feel like with what you're explaining, it's really about, let's not talk about what's not going right, but let's talk about what do we want to see positively for our community?
2: Absolutely. It's so helpful, I think, to start with the foundation. Of understanding the problems and getting on the same page about that. But in the API space specifically, there seemed to just be a really big gap. So many people really, really want the narratives about our communities to change. And we just saw fewer articulations of what we're aiming for. And so we wanted to do some of the work to help people imagine what that future should be like and help coalesce other movement organizations around this as well so that we could be aligned and working together.
1: One of the questions that Linda asked, so if you were to think about the future of this work that you're doing, what do you hope as the absolute outcome of all of this great work that you and the organization is doing?
2: Yeah, so you mentioned it so often in the narratives used to describe AAPI communities are these really negative things, right? It's perpetual foreigner, it's mono minority, which is rooted in assimilation. Mm -hmm. Within our communities, we gatekeep, who gets to be Mm -hmm. a good Asian or a bad Asian, authenticity, Mm -hmm. for example. So many groups within our communities are just totally invisible, especially Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander communities. Mm -hmm. So a win for us is, is building narrative power for the aspirational narratives that that mm-hmm. activists and movement organizations are already beginning to see so to have a more positive future be the reality and for more positive narratives to become the norm so for us mm-hmm. again i mentioned we sat down and figured out what we want to change the narrative to those narratives are at the values level are interdependence so the ideas that our communities look out for each other solidarity mm-hmm. both across mm-hmm. the api community and with other communities of color. Pride, you know, we want to see us celebrating the diversity within our community while also having a shared sense of identity rooted in values like solidarity. We want to see belonging. We want to belong in dominant culture inherently. We don't Mm -hmm. want to ask to belong. And self-determination, we want to be able to tell our own stories. We want indigenous communities to be able to make decisions and govern themselves. We want to be learning from generations of Indigenous and ancestral wisdom across our communities. So those five narratives really describe the future that we are going for, but we'd love to hear from other organizations what that future looks like to them and how they might build out or build on top of this set of narratives that we've we've identified.
0: This is great. And I'm sure that the people who are listening are wondering, so what do these narratives lead to? And in your study, you talked about these personas. So maybe we could jump into these and you could also give us a an overview of these personas because we do have a lot more questions related to these personas. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah one part of the research was defining those aspirational narratives. The other part I mentioned was all about understanding our audience and trying to get at the complexity and nuance and trying to understand why these debates about different issues were happening and starting to cause some division in our communities, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. And so we interviewed 28 millennial and Gen Z APIs after surveying about 200 people. And Mm -hmm we talked to them about their experiences, how they were relating to being a part of the API umbrella, where they might feel alienated by the API community, how they were defining activism or engaging with politics, if mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And from there, we developed these six distinct audience personas that represent a pretty big range of the attitudes, motivations, and relationships to API identity and issues across the community within this millennial and Gen Z bracket. And each one of these personas is really important to us in thinking about how we build narrative power and thinking about the roles that each Persona or each person could play in helping us make those aspirational narratives the dominant ones and feel really real and present for us. I will say we did see a huge opportunity to do a more specific research process for Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander Mm -hmm. communities. So we were inclusive of the full umbrella with our study, but we're also starting a process to honor and be really specific about the audience and narrative needs that those communities have as well. So mm-hmm. they're comprehensive and also just, just a start. So I mentioned there's six, I can very quickly describe each of them. Mm-hmm. So on one hand we have Pragmatic Strivers. This is a group who aspires to opportunity, to meritocracy, and they have a real need for security. So they want their hard work to be celebrated and they are really leaning into personal achievement as the way to achieve that security and success. They might be more politically moderate because, you know, progressive ideas might sound nice but don't seem realistic. But they're the ones who are going to show up to the movie screening to support an API musician. And we need them to rally their friends to bring people into the fold. Then we have compassionate peacekeepers this is a group that aspires to belonging in dominant culture. They really want everybody to get along. They know that something like racism is real, but they prefer to focus on one-to-one action over political or systemic change where their Mm -hmm. ability to connect with people can really, really shine. So these are your volunteers, the ones who will show Mm -hmm. up and be there and support somebody who's going through a tough time. And we need them to see both sides of an issue and help bring people into the fold and make them feel welcome. Then we have independent skeptics. This group tends to be younger and they might hold multiply marginalized identities or be different in some way. And they crave recognition of their specific and intersectional identities and experiences. So a great example of this is I heard from a queer Muslim woman that they didn't know that people like them existed outside the internet until they went to college. So this Mm -hmm. group tends to be pretty progressive on issues, but they might feel alienated by the AAPI community, especially Mm -hmm. like by strivers who are kind of prone to drawing some lines about who counts and who doesn't. But this mm-hmm. group can help us make and challenge us to make inclusion a reality. Then we have inclusive optimists. This group really aspires to pan API inclusion. They see inherent value in diversity, more mm-hmm. is more when it comes to difference, as long as there's equal representation. So this is the type of person who joins the API student group, And they themselves have been on a real journey from feeling shame or wanting to hide parts of their identity or culture to feeling really proud of who they are. And they want to create the structures and the spaces to help other people go on that journey, too. Then we have cultural experimentalists. These are people who are really focused on evolution and change they feel really connected to their heritage, but they're also innovators. So they're leading mutual aid groups. They're the chefs who are rebranding Chinese American food. They're the ones who are showing us how to practice solidarity. Doing this often because of negative experiences that they might have had themselves, and they see a real need to leave some parts of the culture behind and evolve to meet mm-hmm. the moment. So that could mean interrogating anti-blackness amongst some Asian American communities or Native and Pacific Islander communities too. It could mean normalizing mental health. It could be advocating for and being open about queer identities and experiences too. Mm-hmm. And lastly, we have rooted in heritage. So they're very focused on their own communities. We find rooted in heritage in groups like Native Hawaiian activists who are really leading the way and fighting for land, language, and self-governance or sovereignty there. We find them amongst Taiwanese community organizations, too, who are preserving identity and language and heritage or Japanese American organizations trying to preserve the legacy and learn from Mm. the World War II incarceration. So our challenge with rooted in heritage folks is to bring them into the fold while recognizing that there's going to be certain issues and experiences that are pretty unique to them. And we don't always have to have the same opinions or the same priorities. Now, those are six. I realized I went through them really, really quickly. But the thing <laughs> I hope everybody understands about these personas is that everyone has a seat at the table and a role to play. So it's easy, especially for those of us like myself working at a progressive organization within a movement, it's so easy to say, oh, that persona was bad, or I don't like the way that persona thinks. I really mm-hmm. want to challenge us to remember that everybody has a role to play and everybody has a seat at the table and to think Mm -hmm. not about who's thinking in the right or wrong way, but what can Mm -hmm. we do to help these ideas that might seem really progressive now land and feel relevant to a broad set of people and what role can people play in helping to amplify these aspirational narratives and make them feel really present and real. I will also say that there's one persona, um, cultural experimentalists, that are really modeling for others what this new aspirational API America can look like, and they mean, need to be reminded that not everybody's at the same point on their journey. You know, not everybody's as creative and experimental and progressive as they are. There's so much that they're doing now that people are excited about that I would love to see amplified and modeled for others in a more explicit way. Yeah,
1: it's a great explanation of the six personas. So thank you so much for sharing. Do you
2: identify specifically with one of the personas? I think I'm probably an inclusive optimist. I do value diversity I do work like at a pan-API organization, right? So, I am in that more is more camp when it comes to bringing many parts of our community together. I think that growing up mixed race in a college town in Oregon in a pretty white community, I was definitely an independent skeptic, you know. Until I went to college, (laughs) majored in ethnic studies, made more Asian American friends after graduating, and have a better sense of where I, I fit within the larger umbrella. Yeah, I'm an aspiring cultural experimentalist. I would love to really model all of the ways that we could be innovating and experimenting. And I do think that there's some aspects of the ways that I was raised and the things that I and my family values that meet those um, tenets. But I don't know if I'm quite ready to say that that's mm-hmm. 100% me. Yeah, and and that's the second question I had
1: for you is, do you see that people kind of go from one persona to the next depending on their life experiences or their age, or and maybe this is just a hypothetical question, but you know, what do you think about that?
2: It really seemed like, and I did ask people to tell me in the interviews about times where they felt like their views or topics where they felt like their views or positions or opinions had changed over time, and so. I was kind of drilling in specifically about the evolution that people were mm-hmm. going through naturally. And it seemed like there were certain points in somebody's life or life experiences that aren't unique to a persona shift, but mm-hmm. they can make bigger mindset changes in all of us, right? So moving away for college and meeting all kinds of new people that you might mm-hmm. have been Around growing up was a big turning point that a lot of people named. So was during your late 20s or early 30s when the pressure to buy a house, to settle down. This is where class dimensions or class differences can really start to come out. Mm -hmm. If, for example, you need to support your parents who haven't been able to save for retirement in the same way that others' parents have. Or Mm -hmm. if your parents aren't able to help you buy a house and you're doing it Mm -hmm. on your own while some of your friends Mm -hmm. do have that extra support, that's a time where that scarcity mindset and that real need to just be practical and pragmatic can kind of conflict with more progressive values that people might have held previously. And then another turning point for people was becoming a parent and needing to think about and be really intentional about the way that they wanted their children and their family to be relating to their identity, learning or not learning about some aspects of the culture, what they wanted to pass down. You know, somebody said, you know, we don't want to see trauma and call it culture and pass that down to our children. So how can I be intentional about how I am doing that while making sure that my child feels really proud of who they are, knowing that they're going to face discrimination. One other question, Kana,
1: because you were talking about people talking about buying homes, because they're, you know, around the age of 30 and things like that. With these personas, is there an opportunity for an organization to market to specific personas based on what they want to try to achieve meaning you know would that be a good thing or a bad thing from a marketing standpoint if a company wanted to do that
2: (laughs) so the idea of personas like comes out of market research. They've been used for a long time in the private sector for this purpose. They're also commonly used in design research, which is my Mm -hmm. training and background. Um, I learned how to do this at the Stanford D School when I was in undergrad and grad school. It wasn't our intention to design personas that could be used in a marketing context, although Mm -hmm. whether you are marketing to a certain audience or running a social justice campaign, I think knowing about your audience is so, so important. Either way, it's going to make you more successful. So the way that I've designed the personas and the kinds of detail I add may or may not be helpful in a marketing context, but I'll leave that Mm -hmm. up to see a company or product to see if they'd be useful. Thank you for that. Because that was a question that kept coming up.
0: I got to say, I mean, I want to jump in on this mainly because it's interesting because as you were describing it and you're talking about these six personas, you know, of course, I'm sure the listeners are also going to be doing this as well, too. Where do I fit in, regardless of your generation, right? So for me as a Gen Xer, I come from a generation where I saw the word skeptics and I was just thinking, yeah, that that's us, you know, angry and, you know, maybe somewhat angry and <laughs> and also skeptical and distrusting of everything and anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you know, we we were in that kind of generation where there was like, you know, just such social change and breakdown in some ways of of a lot of the kind of, societal expectations that you know the generation before had and after you came up with these personas and the work and as you've been presenting you know your research what has been the reaction from individuals who are from other generations like you know your your gen xers and your your baby boomers you know have you found that other generations are identifying with some of these personas because I mean I feel like I could identify with some of them as well too. And and so I'm just curious as to what you've been finding on on these.
2: Yeah. So first of all, that's helpful to know that they do resonate across generations, at least for you. We did focus our research and our interviews on two particular generations, but I suspect that there's many elements of these personas that are universal. So they could cross into other generations. They could across racial or cultural groups, I don't know 100%. But I have heard from multiple Gen Xers who feel like the personas generally resonate with them as well. I've had fewer boomers look through it in a lot of detail. So I would love to hear more feedback (laughs) from them. But I do think that there's potential because they're focused on attitudes and values for them to cross whatever kind mm-hmm. of boundaries you're setting.
0: Mm-hmm. So. I guess maybe I'll just add in case anybody's curious. And Yana, I'm going to ask you the same too. I think for me, I'm identifying with like the pragmatic strivers, the independent skeptics, and the inclusive optimist. I feel like I yeah. maybe, I don't know, flow through those they three. Are. I mean, I... <laughs> oh good. And you know, kind of like you, I would say I I may aspire to be a cultural experimentalist, but I don't think I'm near there at all. I think maybe I'll dip a toe in once in a while, but uh, definitely not there yet.
2: Why maybe? Food experimenting with food maybe. Well, I definitely don't think that given individual is one persona exclusively all the time, right? Like we all have aspects of each persona within us and they might, those traits or values might come up in different contexts depending on where we are. They're not meant to be like a rigid personality typing tool. Meet people with just more complexity and nuance and richness and to be a tool that can help those who are trying to bring others together to help adjust and adapt the way that they're talking or engaging with to meet people where they're at. So, I would hate I would hate if the interpretation of this was some kind of static, fixed personality type, but I do hope that people see themselves in, in different aspects of the personas. Yeah. Right, right.
1: Yeah. It it is more about the conversation around these personas rather than, okay, this is how I identify and I will always work within this frame of reference, right? So I think Mm -hmm. you made that point really clear and I think that's great. It's like, yeah, we should be having conversations around these personas, regardless of what generation you might belong to or what generation you're seeking to understand better. So we'll see that other piece around marketers and how they might use (laughs) the personas. That could be a follow-up conversation. But I think for the purpose of what we're discussing here, it's really great. You know, it's about having these conversations and, relating what we're learning to our identity so that we can better navigate our environments that we're operating in. So it, I love it. I love this whole conversation.
0: Maybe this is a good opportunity to to segue into the leadership aspects of identity and personas. And Kana, can you, based on what you've done with this research, can you speak to, you know, the intersections with leadership? Do the personas indicate perhaps a certain leadership style? So
2: I spent less time <laughs> hearing from people about their jobs and careers. It, it mm-hmm. wasn't the area where they wanted to spend more time talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were in college or younger, right? So they hadn't quite gotten to that point. And they were maybe still trying to figure out like, what do I want to be when I grow up? So I had less. fewer insights from what people told me but i did go to business school so i do have some insights just from observing and thinking about the api community for a long time a couple of things about this so pragmatic strivers are very interested in individual achievement right so i suspect that we find more of them in places where taking initiative, individual leadership, um, personal advancement is valued. So like in the corporate space, whether, you know, I live in San Francisco, so they may be the type to start a startup or go for that promotion at their corporate job. Inclusive Mm -hmm. optimists or cultural experimentalists because they really value diversity and community and bringing people together, they might find their way towards community-oriented work. It seems like a number of the people I interact with in AAPI nonprofits are inclusive optimists who want to bring others along. And then cultural experimentalists, right? They're so creative and innovative. So I think you'll find them any place where innovation is happening, whether that's in the for-profit or nonprofit space. But again, I think that especially in corporate jobs, and Asian Americans specifically are kind of having a reckoning now, right? A lot of us are asking, is assimilating into this, like, idea of like, what a corporate professional identity is supposed to be? Is that really working out for us? Is? And Similarly, is the advice to keep our heads down and not speak up and go with the flow because so many of us in our history have experienced a lot of discrimination for trying to speak up? Is that advice really working out for us? And so I know a lot of professional Asian Americans who are really rethinking how they want to show up at work. And that might be happening kind of separate to which persona they identify with. So I see mm-hmm. people really trying to try on different ways of being at work that may or may not relate super directly to which persona they might identify with.
0: Can mm-hmm. we just maybe dig a little bit more into that? Because that just sounds really interesting. So mm-hmm. in some ways, I feel like what you're saying is reflective of of, in a sense, what's going on, right? Like, so people go to work and they kind of put on their clothes and and they have this persona at work and then they come home, they take off their clothes and then they kind of revert back to their true selves. And I think that's what I'm hearing. However, at the same time, I also heard through what you're saying, this thread of revisiting or rethinking, like you said, about how can I blend the who I really am at home, with the who I am at work and find a way that it reflects my true authentic reality versus like, I'm going to be one person at work and another person at home and, you know, they kind of don't ever meet. Mm -hmm. And do you see that being driven by this millennial and Gen Z generation that is really thinking more intentionally about who they are, how they want to show up. And do you see that perhaps being informed by the personas or maybe it's still separate from it?
2: I think I need to think more a bit about how much of it is driven by certain personas versus not. But there is definitely something happening in the workplace, especially in business culture, led by millennials, and now especially Gen Z, that's saying, The way we've been taught to work, the way we've been taught to assimilate into this persona that's based on a white man who probably doesn't have a lot of childcare responsibilities or responsibilities outside of going to work, earning money, getting ahead, that persona is not working out for us. And it's no longer what we aspire to be. So the whole conversation in the corporate space about diversity, equity, and inclusion is a great example of this. When I was in business school, I finished in 2021. And I was at Stanford in their MBA program. We students were getting very active and excited about DEI. We felt like this was a 21st century skill. If you are going to be a leader, which is what MBA programs these days train people to be, you need to learn how to be culturally sensitive and aware and supportive of DEI efforts, including understanding that we're not all going to show up to work the same way and we shouldn't have to. That was a big surprise sometimes for our professors and guest speakers who I think didn't realize that there would be such a sudden change in emphasis on DEI and inclusion. So it does seem like there's probably certain personas who are leading the way, right? In the social justice space, it's our inclusive optimists, our cultural experimentalists, and our independent skeptics who are really pushing back and being bold and leading the way. I imagine that it's similar types of people who are who are raising their voices in the business world Mm -hmm. as well. It's not as though the other personas aren't thinking about it or aren't exposed to it as well. So I know pragmatic strivers who are rethinking this too. I know compassionate peacekeepers who may not be the ones to feel like they should be really loud and proud about their beliefs, but they're, you know, rethinking and trying to navigate a working world that is changing and trying to be more inclusive as well. So I think mm-hmm. how we show up, how we advocate might be informed by our personas, but I I don't think I can name a person my age who isn't thinking about how the professional world is changing and, and rethinking how they personally are showing up and how they want their leadership to show up as well.
0: Thanks for that. That's super interesting. And what I heard is, one, there's definitely more room for further research and just this conversation alone is just really an example of how much more areas and interesting insights we can gain from this. And secondly, I think what you said about the expectations of DEI is just so commonplace that it's almost like, why do I even have to mention it? But yet it still is, I'll say, Not always so commonplace. And so that this is a really interesting, Mm -hmm. I think, perspective. And, you know, especially for those that are listening, maybe, you know, the things that some generations may be taking for granted, others are not perhaps fully there or not realizing it. So, and definitely impactful from a leadership perspective when you, especially if you think about your, you know, your Gen X or a baby boomer too. I mean, you know, just thinking about just what does this mean for their leadership when leading teams that are millennial and Gen Z. And even amongst us as Asian Americans, Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islanders, these seem like, from what you're saying, kind of a universal theme that cuts across not only our communities, but other, you know, just broadly any community in this generation.
1: I'm just thinking about my own work that I do in organizations around diversity and inclusion and the focus being the broad dimensions of diversity. It's not just about race and gender, that it is mm-hmm. a, it is the generational differences. It is the ethnic you know differences, sexual orientation, mm-hmm. orientation, gender identification. Mm-hmm. It's so much more broad. And depending on the organization, they're way ahead in terms of their journey and how they can talk about the dimensions of difference as it relates Mm -hmm. to diversity. So it's not this, you know, like race thing. It's not a gender thing. There's so much more there. So this idea about personas and generational differences, that absolutely needs to be part of the conversation when you're thinking about Mm -hmm. diversity, right? And we appreciate you saying that, probably have to think more about it because you know we can't like directly take these personas and say it applies to the leadership context in some way
0: so thank you for that i'm sure that there are folks again you know listening to this perhaps curious about age ranges of the participants because we're you know we've been saying millennials and and gen z's but what does that really mean you know what's the age range of those that were included in this study that you did
2: yeah, so we surveyed and spoke to people ranging from
0: age 15 to 40. Wow, so the oldest millennials are 40 now then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or
2: maybe 41. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's quite a
0: gap. I mean, because, you know, when you think about it, right, like 40 to 15, I mean, there's there's so much conversation often about how the generational differences have really shrunk to like, you know, even a five-year gap can really highlight generational differences. I'm just curious, did you see any of that in the kind of conversations that you had and in the personas that showed up?
2: The independent skeptic persona wasn't exclusively, but sometimes skewed much younger. It seems like many inclusive optimists might have grown up as independent skeptics, but then they went to college and met other people um, and stopped feeling quite as isolated. Compassionate peacekeepers, they tended to skew older. They didn't have the racial justice, social justice, systemic language when talking about social issues that you typically saw amongst a younger crowd. So it's not, I think it has a bit more to do with their persona than their age. You know, there's plenty of older millennials who do have that language, but those were two kind of patterns that I noticed in terms of how age like impacted where people landed.
1: Can we ask you about naming the generation? Because we, when we were listening to that webinar, I think one of your colleagues said Generation Alpha. And I had not heard that before because during the COVID lockdowns and pandemic and all that stuff, people were saying Generation C. Now uh-huh. it seems like it's now Generation Alpha. So can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, Generation Alpha is just the generation younger than Z. So I'm not exactly sure where the cutoff is, but those are the mm-hmm. youngsters. I think they're the tweens and elementary school students right now. We haven't focused on people that young in our work. Right. We see lane more as working with probably college students, adults and people under that 40 age, people who mm-hmm. are enough to be more active in activism potentially but gen alpha is that generation that's beyond and after gen z so we're not calling them generation covid anymore (laughs) (laughs)
1: because they were for a while generation c but all right alpha sounds much better i
0: didn't realize that's where the c came from i thought where did the c come from but okay now i get it (laughs) Yeah. kind of I got a question for you because I think this would be a great opportunity. I know you spoke a little bit about some things that you would like to see, you know, you mentioned something about amplifying some of these personas. Can you share with us just from the research that you've done and just what the aspirations and the move towards this aspirational narrative? What are some actions that anyone could take as a result of this knowledge.
2: We have a project where we are applying our personas to do message testing around race contest admissions, which is one of those issues that's really driving a wedge between Asian American communities and other communities of color, right? So we're trying to put our persona hats on and think about how would a pragmatics driver think about this issue that's different than a cultural experimentalist? And what can we do to bridge some of the division and get people on the same page about wanting more equitable education Mm -hmm. for everybody in our community and for all students here in the US? And I don't think that you need to be a narrative strategist or have a message testing budget like I do to start bringing a persona lens into the way that you are engaging with people in your lives around these issues that are causing a lot of debate in our communities. We all don't have to think the same thing all the time. But I do encourage people, rather than saying, oh, that opinion is wrong, or I don't like the way that person's talking, we can't be friends. To think more about when there's a disagreement or when there's a difference in how people are engaging with issues, what might be motivating that person? What are they seeking? How might that be different than me? And what can we do to kind of close the the gaps in understanding mm-hmm. so that we can all work together towards this aspirational world that we want to see? I love this, this idea brilliant. of an
0: aspirational world.
2: Yeah. You <laughs> <do> too. I'm
1: <laughs> framing it that way. <laughs>
0: I think that's the optimist in us.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <Right. laughs> yeah.
0: So kind of for anyone who's interested in perhaps reading more about the study and really understanding more about the, I know you talked about the five aspirational narrative areas and then also these six personas. Where can people access this information
2: Yeah. So our website is in the process of being updated. So pretty soon, someone will be able to go to AsianAmericanFutures.org and download the report and download our personas and narrative system. In the meantime, you can email me. It's Kana, K-A-N-A, at AsianAmericanFutures.org. And I'm happy to share the materials.
0: Awesome. Great. And I'll ask you one last question. (laughs) Is there Actually, maybe two. What's one thing that you would recommend for an individual who is listening to use these results? And what's one thing that you would recommend to an organization, an institution, a company on how they could use these results?
2: So I think the answer is a little bit, it's not so distinctive between an individual and a company. I think deep down, we all want to be seen for all that we are. Right, whether that's an individual who identifies with a specific persona, or if you are at a company and let's say you're organizing the AAPI employee resource group, right? We all want to be seen for all that we are. And this is a tool that can help you understand where others are coming from, that can show the breadth and diversity of thought and motivations and opinions within our community. And we hope that these personas can offer clues to help bring people together who may have different beliefs and attitudes so that we can feel like we're working towards a common goal.
0: I love that. That was a great question,
2: Linda.
1: (laughs) Thanks for that, Kana.
0: (laughs) That was a great ending. Thank you for that. That's going to be perfect as an ending. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Kana, for joining us. We'll make sure that whoever has questions, they can reach out to you via email. And in the meantime, we can have our listeners check the website too, so that people can reach out to you.
2: Right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It was so fun to talk with you all. And you asked really thoughtful questions.
0: Yeah. But. Thank you for joining us. I mean, you know, because the study is so interesting and it's easy for all of us to want to bucket ourselves into these personas. But I think it, what you said was really good at the very end. You know, these are just, you know, not necessarily the definitions, but they help to understand, help us all understand each other better. So. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining Jan and I for this season three episode of The Leap Podcast. Stay connected with Leap by joining Leap's mailing list at leap.org and follow us on Leap's social media on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: And if you really enjoyed this podcast, please donate to Leap. Thank you all for tuning in today. We look forward to being with you next time.